Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Big Squid Podcast. On today's Space Policy episode, Alexi Toliopoulos joins me to discuss the 80s classic Starman. Hello, and thank you for joining me today. Uh, This movie holds a special place in my heart. I reckon I saw it at exactly the right age as a kid, and I was wrapped that I could bring in Alexi to discuss this with me. Handsome Jeff Bridges, underrated Karen Allen, emotionally available John Carpenter. This really does have it all, and more. Uh, Before we bring in Alexi, a quick reminder that my two shows at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival are this week. So on Sunday, the 16th of April at 3.30, comedians Celia Pacola and Josh Earle will be joining me to help create the great Aussie movie list. And then what we might do is, uh, once we've created that list, we might go through it as part of the Big Squid podcast. And then on Monday the 17th, my award-winning solo show, Little Victories, appears for one night only. That's right, one night only. As loyal listeners to the podcast, you can score a discounted ticket by using the promo code PODCAST. That's right, I kept it very simple for you. Just head to justinhamilton.com.au forward slash gigs. That is justinhamilton.com.au forward slash gigs and you will find all the relevant information you need there. Also, if you sign up to the Big Squid Patreon, you have an episode dedicated to you. And today's shout out goes to Michael Weber Russ. Hi, Michael. I hope you're a fan of this movie. And maybe if you've never seen it before, this chat with Alexi will inspire you to check it out. Thanks for being a Patreon supporter, Michael. And uh, I hope you're enjoying those uh, bonus podcasts up there as well. All right. It's time for us to make contact with a being from another world that answers NASA's invitation to reach out to the inhabitants of Earth. When they arrive here, though, they are met with hostility, and after their craft is shot down, they take on the physical attributes of a dead man, and with the help of his widow, desperately attempt to stay alive. It is time to enter the world of Starman. 
In 1977, Voyager 2 was launched into space to the outermost regions of the universe. It carried an invitation in all languages for alien life forms to visit our planet. Someone, somewhere, listened and accepted our invitation. Get ready. Someone is coming. Someone like no one she has ever known before. Can you clone a living organism from the hair of a dead man? We're hypothesizing a technology that's probably 100,000 years ahead of me. He has powers we cannot imagine, and the face and touch of the man she loved. Oh, God. I send greetings. What's the matter with you? How much English do you understand? I understand readings in 54 planet Earth languages. Do you seriously expect me to tell the president that an alien has landed, assumed the identity of a dead house painter, and is presently out tooling around the countryside in a hopped up 1977 Mustang? You're not from around here, are you? Think of what it would mean to talk to a being from a civilization like that. Think of what we could learn. Understand, there isn't much time, please. He doesn't want to hurt anybody. Can't you just leave him alone? What the hell ever happened to good manners? We invited him here! So far to come. So much to do. So little time to fall in love. Look up. Company's coming. John Carpenter's Starman. We are talking Starman. I am talking Starman with a star of Australian podcasting, Alexi Toliopoulos. And we always start off Space Podacy by asking, when was the first time you saw this film? I think I would have seen Starman. Uh, it would have been around the time I first went to film school. So it would have been like about 18 or 19 years old. Yeah. Uh, I was into John Carpenter because I was mm-hmm. getting into mainly horror genre and like getting into genre cinema, trying to understand genre cinema as like a language for communicating to the audience. And Starman popped up. I think it would have got a Blu-ray release around that time as well. And I was kind of immediately fascinated by it because it really stands out in his filmography as probably up there with like the great examples of his breadth as a breadth as a filmmaker. Yep. Because I think we really pigeonhole him in genre filmmaking a lot. And he is one of the most he is probably the greatest horror filmmaker of all time. And maybe the greatest genre filmmaker of all time. But I think uh, with that it comes with a lot of cultural limitations when you try to think about him and understand him. Where you think of him as like a great technician. He makes great scores for his movies. Yeah. His movies look cool and they sound cool and they have great big far out premises. But beyond like the technique of him, 
Starman is like the best example of him as a filmmaker that works with actors. I yeah. think it's got really fantastic performances. So I remember it really sticking out for me back then, especially because it is also completely feels like the grown-up version of one of my favorite movies of all time, which is E.T. the Extraterrestrial. Yeah. And so I've got a lot of warmth and love for this movie. Uh, I think it's one that I... It felt like a real discovery for me. Yeah. And sometimes those films that feel like at that time feel like discoveries like oh no one knows about this movie people don't know about this especially that was a case when I was 18 who the frick other 18 year olds are going to know yeah. about <laughs> Starman <laughs> this one weird romantic John Carpenter movie yeah so the, those films that like feel like discoveries for you they just stick around a little bit they just kind yeah. of stay in your brain a little bit more and honestly to, to not sound too sincere and sensitive they stay in your heart a little bit as well yeah no I agree with all of that that's uh, such a beautiful summation I don't have too much to uh, add to it other than uh, you know it, it does re-watching it now it does feel a little bit dated in mm. parts and uh, but like I saw this at the cinema like mum wow. took me to see this when it first came out how old were you? I was like 12 or something yeah. and it just had a really profound effect on me because it was you know like you I'm an ET fan mm -hmm. you know uh, and at that point, science fiction is, you know, we'll go into the movies that were coming out that were science fiction-y at the time. But uh, it is gentle. And then there's something really sweet about it. And there's moments in the film, and once again, we'll get to them a little bit later, but there's kind of, it's, it's almost like, yes, you can point out that's a bit of a flaw, you can point out that's a bit of a flaw, but the moments that really touch you Mm. are what make the movie pop. They're what make yes. the movie really sing. And uh, and I think it is also an extraordinary uh, duo performance. Like, mm. I think Jeff Bridges is obviously great, but Karen Allen is... <sighs> Love Karen Allen. Magnificent. Her finest hour as well. She's a really, I think, fan a fantastic performer. Yeah. Really underrated actor. Yeah. And I think this is... I mean... It, it's without a doubt. I don't. I don't need to qualify at all. I think he's her best performance yeah. on screen. The choice to finish on her face. This whole movie, amazing, beautiful, amazing. Uh, so, a couple of segments mm -hmm. before we get into it. The segment Google me, Chuck. Top four responses when you Google Starman. Was Starman a good movie? Was there a sequel to the 1984 movie Starman? What was the movie Starman based on? What is the movie Starman about? Normally. You get weird things, but yeah. it seems like everyone who watches this movie Googles sincere things. Yeah, I was worried you were going to say, is Starman based on a true story? Yeah, I know, you do get those. So, uh, no, this time everyone was just very lovely about this film. Uh, segment, first context, these are some of the sci-fi movies that came out before and after. 1980, The Empire Strikes Back. Mm -hmm. 1981, Outland. 1982, E.T. the Extraterrestrial. 1983, War Games. Mm. Another uh, one I will put in there, 1982, The Thing. Oh, yes. Carpenter the, as well. Yes, and you can put in Blade Runner as mm. well for 19, like 1982 yeah. is a sensational year. And only one of them comes out on top. Yeah, and It's the little exactly. fella. All uh, the rest, all these three bombs right after it. I know, it's so weird. Uh, 1985, we have Brazil. 1986, we have Aliens. And 1987, we have Robocop. So that kind of gives you an interesting... Uh, idea of what came before and after this year in 1984 this is the year that was you get 2010 uh, underrated movie I would say it's I agree. pretty fun yeah. I agree uh, Dune crazy yes I'm 
dare I say it's an underrated movie, but it's interesting to watch every now and then. Mate, we, we did our David Lynch series not mm-hmm. that long ago, and it's it's I, I have no urge to go back soon, mm. but I had a really good time while I was watching. Yeah, uh, Electric Dreams. Electric Dreams. Uh, what's Electric Dreams? We're gonna be together. Forever long, I don't think I know Electric seems. Dreams. Oh, okay. Uh, electric Dreams it had a, a big beautiful hit from... song, Hammer. Please Thank don't accept you. my blank expression no, no, as no. not a compliment. No, no. It's, uh, <laughs> I stopped looking at you halfway through so I could continue because I started to get some doubts. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh, Electric Dreams is the story about uh, an artificially... Where is it? Can you show me the poster? Uh, yes, uh, Miles buys himself a state-of-the-art computer that starts expressing thoughts and emotions after having champagne spilled down on him. Things mm. start getting out of hand when both Miles and Edgar, uh, which is how the computer calls himself, fall in love with Madeline, an attractive neighbour. Okay, Edgar sounds familiar to me. Yeah. Oh, I've seen that poster a hundred times. Yeah. I never knew what it was. Yeah. That little devil computer yeah. cartoon. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What a what a what a strange movie, but probably best known for the Giorgio Moroder mm. hit with Phil Oakley. Uh, nineteen eighty four came out and the Terminator. So this movie is an outlier. Mm. Uh, this movie begins with the Voyager 2 space probe, which carries a gold phonographic disc with a message of peace and invitation to contact Earth, being intercepted by an alien planet. The aliens send a small scout vessel to make contact, which, of course, the US government shoots down. And uh, what do you think of this as an opening for the film? It's cool because yeah. it kind of gives you those moments of going like, what is even going on? Uh, especially when you start hearing, I can't get no yeah. the Rolling Stones, which yeah. is just, I guess, one of the songs that are loaded on that gold uh, vinyl that they put up there, that gold record. Um, I think it's cool. It's it's an interesting and odd way because yeah. I think it's uh, really nicely sets up about this film is about communication. Yeah, it's about reaching out to what is beyond, uh, rather than the more typical way would be I guess ET, where it just starts with the aliens landing. Yeah, I think this is interesting because it shows that Earth is initiating contact with what is beyond them. Where that where where now as a species on our planet. Uh, moving beyond exploring our own world and trying to reach out into the next. And yeah. I think that is a really quite beautiful thematic way to start this movie. And it also, this uh, the, the, the very concept of the start has radical ramifications on some of the characters throughout the film. You know, it has, uh, you know, some of the heroes that we meet throughout the story are in, are inspired by the fact that we reach out and then we retaliate when mm. the contact comes our way. Uh, the Voyager probes have long held a fascination for me since I was a kid. Uh, I suffer or I am blessed with uh, anthropomorphism. So mm-hmm. there is something quite uh, melancholic to me about these two probes that are now way beyond our yeah. solar system just travelling forever. And I know they're just, I know they're not you know, life forms, but there is still something, you know, there was a lot of love put into them, yeah. you know? So, uh, it also, as a kid, uh, I'd, this, I'd heard about NORAD. Because What's I, NORAD? So, NORAD is the North American Aerospace Defence Command and I was across it mm. because of the absolute figure of nuclear war. Yeah. And NORAD was going to be the uh, thing that would warn the Americans when Russia sent mm. all the missiles there. Is NORAD way. Star Wars? 
the Star the Wars, Nor- Star Wars. NORAD comes before that, but yeah. ties into all yeah. of the defense mechanisms, etc. Let the record show I didn't think Star Wars was real. I mean, the Ronald Reagan program. That's what defense. I thought you were talking yes. about as well. <laughs> Just yep, to sorry. let people in the yep. audience know that uh, I didn't yep. think I wasn't asking if Star Wars is real. Did NORAD make the Death Star? <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, I also have a short story somewhere from yeah. when I was a kid about my fears of NORAD and wow. some super spy having to take the computer. NORAD down. actually is a good name for a Star Wars character, having said all that. Yeah. Well, that's what War Games taps into <laughs> as well. Oh, yeah, right? of starts course. playing tic tac toe yeah. with NORAD, and then uh, Matthew Broderick uh, nearly destroys the world. Um, not far away from where the alien crashes, we watch as a grieving widow, Jenny, played by Karen Allen, drinks and watches home videos uh, of her, or not home videos, but home movies of her dead husband, Scott, played by Jeff Bridges. Look, my question here was any thoughts on Karen Allen, but mm. mate, like Raiders of the Lost Ark, yeah. Animal House, Cruising. Yeah, I love Cruising. That's one of my favourite. Uh, I mean, I just love that movie, William Friedkin, Al Pacino. Mate, it's a scorcher. Yeah. And it is fucking on the edge yeah i just love that movie uh also she's in the wanderers which is yes. a, a great little teen gangster movie from yep. the 70s yep and probably in my favorite little episode of law and order svu oh really i did not her. know that she's great she plays um a woman whose husband their religious family yeah her husband has some kind of like brain tumor snap and becomes like a killer yeah, right. And um, yeah, she still loves him and stuff as well. Right. And hopes for him to get help, but he's been killing people. Right. You know. So it's quite a bit of conflict in trying to just help the guy out. That is a tasty conflict right there. Mm. Um, beautiful eyes. Just yeah. so expressive. And personally, I uh, always love Raiders of the Lost Ark. And the regardless of what the other movies hit and mm. don't hit, that it's, it's like... Yeah. Where's Karen Allen? I think people should really think about her as one of the great movie star actors because yeah. to me the filmography speaks to the filmography of a movie star. Yeah. Like she's got like big freaking movies in that yeah. filmography. I don't know why people don't put her in like conversations of great actors. Yeah. Because she's got big blockbusters, she's got great performances, yeah. she's got interesting fun comedies and stuff. She's kind of got everything. You know what's interesting? I don't think I've ever seen like Big interviews with her. Maybe mm. she's just really unassuming and she Maybe. doesn't play the game and isn't, you know, walking down red carpets yeah. at, at the drop of a hat. Maybe it's that. Maybe that's it. Yeah, she's, I think, a really fantastic actor. Yeah, I love her as well. Uh, the alien escapes the crash side as a glowing ball of energy. It arrives at Jenny's home and through a lock of Scott's hair grows itself a body. And I, you know what I'd completely forgotten is the body horror. Mm, in this film, like because you you kind of think of it as John Carpenter being quite nice and, and sweet and sweet, and then you have it's it's like a little flex. Mm. It's just like uh, I just need to let everyone remember I'm John Carpenter. Yeah, because like, it starts as like this really disgusting looking baby that already looks like it's got an adult head or something yeah. growing out of its face. So it yeah. just looks really odd. Uh, it's a really weird opening because it's quite disgusting, but I think it sets up the two person. To, like the paired performance between these two stars. Yeah. Because if it just is she enters the room and beautiful Jeff Bridges, her dead <laughs> husband, is there, it doesn't quite work as nicely as it's this disgusting creature yeah. that for the rest of at least the first two acts of the movie, yeah. she looks at with fear, yeah. curiosity, 
at times disgust yeah. and like you know the really she's afraid for her life around this thing yeah she can't see it as human at, or as a being at all until you know that third act comes around yeah and I think that is so special I think that's she is really like the great ingredient of this movie and I watched an interview where Jeff Bridges talked about that where whatever his performance is he owes most of it to her because her just looking at him the way that she does like with the fear and with the the weird interest that she has is the only way that he could perform what he needed to in the movie for it to work yeah it's almost like uh She's the great baseline for mm. him to be doing all the, you know, intricate playing around, mm. and uh, it also gives him somewhere because you could imagine it's um, th- these are very different performances. But you know, Barry Keegan in mm. uh, the Banshees of Inisherin, he's he's half a twitch away from getting that wrong. Yeah, you know, and and in this film, Jeff Bridges is, you know. Uh, Three degrees with his head on the wrong angle yeah. for it to suddenly all collapse. He's doing a lot of work in this movie. Yeah, and but he needs her to let him know where to come back. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a great great scene, and as I said, I'd completely forgotten it, and I was like, oh. But you're right, it does... Uh, that scene alone informs her whole emotional response for a large swathe of the mm. film. Uh, The alien Scott has seven small spheres that he uses to perform feats that appear magical but are just advanced technology. He contacts his people telling them Earth is hostile and his ship has been destroyed. There is a rendezvous arranged in three days' time in Arizona. He coerces a frightened Jenny into driving him. And my question for you is, after everything we've discussed, do you know how far we are into the film? Uh, this is probably only maybe 11 minutes is my guess. It's, it's 21. Oh, wow. But, okay. but it's still yeah. like so much has happened. Mm. And, you know, I've kind of, you know, even drawing it down into simple sentences. But it was like I was, you know, watching the film and I, I, mm. I thought I was like, you know, seven or eight minutes still into the film kind of yeah. thing. And I looked and I was like, 21? Like, yeah. It, it's just... Uh, real economical storytelling. Mm, I think f- uh, up to a point, and then, and it's not uh, it's something that I quite enjoy about a road movie, where you can kind of slow things down. Mm. And I think the there's a lot of flab in the middle section of the movie where it is a road movie, but I think that's part and parcel with like that genre of films. Yeah, because I think that genre of films, the road movies, need to emulate the feeling of being stuck on the road for a long time. Yes, especially when it's like one or two people or more on the road trip you need those moments to just like soak in and feel those connections grow yeah i think that is part of the strength of this movie is that it does nail that road movie aspect of it yeah it's almost like it's necessary flap mm, really i think it is i yeah. think with road movie that's actually something really necessary yeah uh let's talk jeff bridges uh even though he is beloved now i somehow uh think he is also kind of underrated for his versatility mm. and uh, how, uh, which of his films have you seen and uh, which are the ones that stand out to you? Uh, Last Picture Show I think is a yeah. true masterpiece and yeah. like that's a beautiful performance by him uh, and then probably more recent stuff I love the Coen Brothers adaptation of True Grit. Yeah. I think that is it might be my favourite Coen Brothers film. I yeah. think it's I think he's really fantastic in it. Um, it's probably the film of theirs that I 
nowadays revisit a lot. Right. The one I used to revisit the most was also Jeff Bridges and The Big Lebowski. Yeah. I love that movie. It's got some of my favorite, most favorite visual gags in it. But I had a realization earlier last year where I had a thought. like, I think I've seen The Big Lebowski for the last time. I don't think I... Or you, can- need, you need a big break. I need a really long break because yeah. I just I loved it, but now it just it's also is one of those movies that has an audience that annoys me, and it does deserve that big cult audience that it has. Like it deserves it. If any cult yeah. film deserves it, yeah. it's that film. But they do annoy me, and uh, I need a really long ass break from The Big Lebowski. Mate, it's a fucking disaster when you love something mm. and then you realize that you're a part of a, yeah. a venn diagram that you don't want to be a part exactly. of exactly i need i need at least a <laughs> lifetime between me seeing it for probably 15 times now i yeah. can just i need a really really long time so i did a spot on uh, adelaide abc radio last mm. night and they were talking uh, funniest moments from movies yeah that you like to you know go back to and uh, i wanted to give Three broad examples. So I gave one of, uh, you know, Frank Drebin, you know, in uh, Naked Gun. I gave one of the Marx Brothers and uh, I gave one of uh, the, the Big Lebowski. Mm. And uh, while I was looking up clips, it's <laughs> the uh, one of the clips that I ended up on, which I didn't use because it's there's no dialogue, but it's just the moment of John Turturro as Yezu mm. bowling. And it's th- the thing that in that scene that makes me laugh the most is the way Steve Buscemi looks over his shoulder Mm. and looks at him and he blows him a kiss and just the very subtle look of confusion Mm. on Donnie's face. And it was like, so I'm a little bit the opposite of you that made me go, I haven't watched this in a long time. Maybe I'm ready to go back. But I do understand. Yeah. I'll tell you what, uh, today uh, someone asked me my favourite visual gag in a movie and I did answer a joke from The Big Lebowski, which is... It makes me laugh so much. I still remember the first time I saw it, losing my mind. Yeah. Because I think it's just such... It's so clever, so small, so funny, and really stupid, (laughs) which is... The whole movie is a play on noir films. Yeah. And there's this moment... His one genuine moment of, like, detective skills kicking in Uh is when there's a guy (laughs) answering the phone. He's kind of eavesdropping, and he sees him take a note down, and he walks (laughs) off... And he goes to the piece of paper and he gets the pencil to like rub to find out what the imprint was from the yeah. last Get note. a phone number, get, get a name. Exactly. And I was like, you see that done in so many noir films. And when you see the instant kicking, you're like, oh, whoa, okay. And it comes as a guy, it's a drawing of a guy with a big erection that comes up. It is the hardest maybe I've ever laughed at a movie in my life. Because I was just like, it's just the perfect joke for that movie. It's <laughs> like... I just think it's the it's maybe the funniest visual joke ever, uh, and it's just so simple, so stupid, and, and it but it's really, genius. It really comes yeah. from out of nowhere. Out of like nowhere. the first time you see that, that is the last thing on your mind. Because it's like the it's an, uh, actually in a genuine serious moment of intrigue in the film. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so funny. It's so funny. And because it could only exist in that movie, that's why I think it's the best. Because it can't put that in anywhere else in any other movie ever made. It can only uniquely exist in that film, and it's perfect. <laughs> it is. Oh, man, it's so good. Um, uh, just uh, before we move on, uh, 
you know, he, he's so versatile. So, you know, you mentioned the mm. last picture show. You mentioned True Grit. We've just talked about the Big Lebowski. Mm. You think about him in Jagged Edge. Yeah. Uh, Thunderbolt and Life for the around this time as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the yeah, Michael yeah. Cimino movie. Yeah. Uh, Tucker the Man in His Dream, which mm. I quite like. I love that movie. Yeah. I love it. The Fabulous Baker Boys where he, mm-hmm. and Against All Odds where he's just fucking yeah. like, hey, do you need me to be hot? Because yeah. I'm, I'm going to be hot and yeah. it's going to fucking blow your mind. There's um, a great neo-noir movie I would love to recommend to the listeners, uh, Jeff Bridges' 1980s. It is uh, Jeff Bridges and John Hurd. Um, oh, yeah, from, John Hurd. It's great. Uh, from Home Alone and yep. stuff, the dad from Home Alone. Um, it's called Cutter's Way. Oh, and yeah. John Hurd plays... Uh, Vietnam vets and his friends with Jeff Bridges and they kind of start like following a lead together um, and it recently has had multiple Blu-ray editions just released around the world in the last year one in Australia by Imprint Films and one in the US by Vinegar Syndrome's Fun City Cinema and uh, there is uh, great features on both where Jeff Bridges comes like he filmed these last year during lockdowns just by himself at home being interviewed by somebody on his laptop and he just says yeah I really wanted to do these introductions for these movies again and talk about these films because John Hurd was my friend he passed away and I think it's one of the best performances I've ever worked alongside is him in these movies so it's just really I think that he is genuinely one of the coolest nicest actors working or working forever in Hollywood I think he's fantastic yeah he he's Really great. My favourite film of his is Fearless. Mm, here it, we are. Just like... Yeah. Whew, I have to, um, you know, that's a movie that I have to watch in like three months between yeah. in the middle of flights. Yeah, my favourite movie is <laughs> R.I.P.D., The Rest in Peace Department. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he that's my second. Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, just very quickly, uh, the way he uses different languages to speak mm. and slowly improve, the way he slowly comprehends, understands, and eventually embraces emotion, and his delivery of a little bit jumpy mm. is funny yeah. at, when he's trying to understand the phrase and scary when he has the gun and sweet when he explains why he took on Scott's appearance. Mm. It's like he delivers that, th- that line three times in a monotone and somehow gets different yeah. emotion every time. It's is this the point in the podcast where we can talk about his performance or should we save it till further? Down you, no, no, no. Let's go. Because um, I think it's genius. I think what yeah. he does is uh, a level of genius with this performance because he has to strike a really odd tone where it is a fish-out-of-water comedy uh, for a lot of it. So he has to get these comedic beats to land. But there's also a lot of sincerity and it's a lot of it is him not understanding human emotions and empathy. Yeah. And so I think that's really hard to do in a movie like this where its key is slowly coming to understand this character and yeah. see them as human. One thing that I learned uh, while kind of like watching interviews with Jeff Bridges and Karen Allen and John Carpenter the last couple of days leading up to this podcast was uh, there was one thing that they all the others talked about like that astounded them about his performance is one of the first things that they filmed I think it was one of the first things of films, but it's the first thing that's in the movie of him is the home movie that Karen Allen is watching, where it's yep. them playing music together, like out on a picnic, and him talking direct to the camera that she's holding and stuff. And uh, if you watch that back, a lot of the mannerisms that he does as that version of the character, the 
the deceased husband are things that the alien emulates that become yeah. more human as the alien comes along, uh, as the alien's character grows. But it is like him like doing these weird gesticulations with his mouth, which are just jokes to him and his wife at the time. Yeah. They become part of the alien's mannerisms and that's yeah. why the alien does like lots of weird speech and lots of weird things. And they talked about... Um, Jeff Bridges figured out the characterization by working with a dancer. Like he worked with this yeah. dancer. He goes, oh, that dancer's cool. I like the way they move. Maybe they can teach me how to kind of move like an insect, something that doesn't look human. Yeah. So he worked with this dancer to create the physicality of the character. And then he came up with like these little things that he wanted to incorporate into that home movie that would pay off with like the way the alien would interpret them. Yeah. And they're all just like, how does he even think to do that shit? Like yeah. how was he thinking to do that? Like, it's extraordinary. Mm, it's uh, really good foresight for something like this. And, uh, you know, when we get uh, further into uh, the squid bits, there's some interesting stuff of where he got inspiration mm. from. But, uh, you know, he, once again, this is what I mean about the Jeff Bridges versatility, which is because he's kind of known for, you know, the Big Lebowski mm. or stuff like that, there's this whole gamut of performances where he just brings something that... Nobody else, I think, can bring. Mm. Like, you know, people can bring stuff. But he just, I don't know. Like, that is, that's phenomenal that he looked at this role and went, oh, well, if he's going to be doing this later, then if I do this now, I can put that mm. in. And and also, like, those at home videos just look like two people having a good time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, it's really nice. <laughs> when you're watching them, you're like, you can see why she's still grieving and you just don't think anything. And then it, the, the way it plays out as it goes along is fantastic. Um, also, from a very young age, my uh, I remember mum and her friends saying, uh, having a debate on which actors they would mm. like to kiss. And they all agreed that it was Jeff Bridges. Yeah, he's cool, man. He's yeah. a cool guy. They thought he would be the gentlest and mm. he would not, you know... Leave a mess all over you. Yeah. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> <laughs> the weird things you remember from childhood when you're sitting at a table, not really paying attention, and then in your head. I remember they were saying, you know, Harrison Ford in mm. Blade Runner looks great, but that yeah. beard would scratch you up. Yeah. There you go. Something for the people out there who've had to do with scratching <laughs> men beards. Um we are introduced to Mark Sherman, Charles Martin Smith, who was brought in to help as a SETI scientist. This is one of my favourite science fiction tropes. The scientist, who is also a rebel, who knows a lot, but is mistrusted by the higher-ups. They're usually played by character actors, but off the top of my head, I can't think of this type of character mm. in a movie of late. I feel like it's a, I think it's a lost character. Like yeah. they're, they're, they're kind of a little bit... Um, I think they're still too pop cool. up, but all of these movies you probably don't watch, like you know that Moonfall. And oh stuff yeah, maybe like they that. turn up in Moonfall. Yeah, yeah that's a you good know, point. I feel like they'd be more in those kind of disaster movies, like um, you know Jake Johnson in freaking Jurassic World and all those kind of things are a little well, bit they, like. That. Well, they're a bit more cool now, though, aren't they? Don't mm. they try to get the? Um, well, I know in Moonfall, it's, yeah, I think vibe. they go for that Jeff Goldblum vibe. I know in Moonfall, it's that uh, Samuel Tarly from uh, Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah, and right. Like, yeah, and um, Charlie Day in Pacific Rim, like those oh, kind yeah. of, yeah. yeah. He's, um, in, in this, though, uh, you know, because I've, I loved uh, Charles Martin Smith in The Untouchables. That was my introduction 
uh, yeah. well, that was that was the movie. Like I'd seen him in this, but The Untouchables was where I really yeah. started paying proper attention to him. I quite like him a lot. Love him in The Untouchables. Did you know he's a director as well? Oh no, I didn't know. He that. directed famously. He directed the movie Air Buds. Oh really? About the yeah. golden retriever that plays basketball. Yeah. He directed Air Bud, and he also directed the pilot episode of Buffy. So probably made a really? lot of money off directing Buffy's pilot. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't Over know the that years, about probably Buffy. still keeps him afloat. Yeah. Oh, well, that's good. I like him. Mm. I want him to stay afloat. I want to. Get, I want him to get other roles as well. He feels like. Um, who do you? I wonder if Richard Dreyfuss is his nemesis. Yeah, you, probably. Yeah, because uh, they were together in um, uh, American Graffiti. Yes, they were. Yes, yeah. of course. Right. And then I've I forgotten think that. Dry- yeah, and then Dreyfus doesn't come back for more American graffiti, right? Yeah, yeah. He yeah. moves on. Big start. Yeah, but the rest stuck around. The rest still did it. Can I just, just as a little sidebar, are you watching The Last of Us? Yes. Are you up to date? Yes. Fuck, I laughed with everyone watching The Goodbye Girl. Yeah, I know, right? It was the great. Goodbye Girl. And like all these kids are like kids who would not yeah. watch it now are watching it because they're going, this is what the world used to yeah. be like. What a great moment. What a great moment and what an inspired choice. Yeah. Because that's one of my favorite rom-coms. Yeah, great movie. I reckon it just must be something HBO has the rights for because it does, it is on binge. So right. like, you can watch it right after yeah, watching so The Last funny. of Us. I still to this day laugh when she, uh, when Marsha Mason knocks on uh, Dreyfus's door and says, are you decent? And she walks in mm. and he's sitting there naked playing his guitar mm. and she's so horrified. She closes the door. Mm. She said, I... Uh, you said you were decent. I am decent. I am also naked. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. But it also has um, the the scene in The Last of Us is when they go to see his play mm. and it's terrible and he yeah. knows it's going to be terrible and uh, he still goes, he has to still go through with it. Anyway, if you're a performer, that, that bit fucking hits hard mm-hmm. as you get older. <laughs> yep. Uh, we'll finish that part of the conversation after we finish recording. Uh, <laughs> Scott tells Jenny that he means her no harm, but he must leave this world or he'll die. Uh, Jenny sympathises on, and uh, on a few occasions attempts to escape, but everything changes when she sees Scott out in a car park bringing a dead deer strapped on a truck back to life. And uh, I have to say, this was the moment that... This is the moment of the film that I go, I'm enjoying this film and now I'm in. Yeah. Like this is anytime anyone brings up this film, that scene is the moment that I go straight to and makes me love this film for mm. flaws and all. Yeah, and it's such a beautiful moment because you know because she's about to she's finally about to get away from mm. him, and then she sees him out there and he, it, you know, the confusion of it as well, and then the way the you know the rednecks come and beat him up. It's a great moment. It's quite magical. Yeah, because it is like you say. It's that moment where there's a immense. It's been building up to a change between them. Yeah, and that is a really exciting moment of like magical realism that pushes it into the change. Yeah, where you see the not just the innocence of that character because the innocence is apparent throughout. Because yeah. it's like an innocence versus ignorance in that character from like the human perspective onto him. But in that moment, it's like it's very very pure. And yeah. it's very, very. Uh, I guess the word I will use is it's good. Like yeah. it's 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 a moment of 
goodness from that character where you, everything else around is an absence of goodness. Yeah. Uh, like, not around that... Ca- I mean, in that moment where you've got the hunters and, like, the violence with them and stuff. Um, it's the it's goodness in the absence of goodness, I think, works really, really powerfully. Yeah. It's a, it's a great moment. And I agree. I think it's the moment of the movie. The other moment of the movie, something you already talked about, the very, very ending, the last shot. Yeah. I yeah. think those are the two great moments. Yeah, uh, I, I have to say, I also love that it's 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 a really mundane mm. moment the way it happens. Like he he heals the deer and the yeah. deer just he heals walks. it off screen kind of as yeah. well, which is like you know ET. They've got moments like that, and they're just filled with the spectacle of it. Yeah, this is you've seen the dead deer on the racks of this car. Yeah, and then his confusion, his confusion with it. Then you come out as Karen Allen. You see it from such a distance that the deer is alive again. Yeah, and it's just like I think it's a really clever way to just show a different version of what that scene can be. Yeah, yeah, a I more mature, it. more suggested version of it. Y- yeah, that's actually. Yes, it is more mature. Mm. Yeah, it's, it, it eschews the spectacle to uh, ground it a little bit. Yeah. Uh, with the army now enlisting the help of the police and with yokels also in pursuit, Scott and Jenny take off through the night. At one point, a police car shoots at them and critically wounds Jenny. A blockade is set up with a gas tanker, but Scott crashes the car into it. He uses the spheres to protect both and through the clouds and flames, carries her to safety. Um a lot happens. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of... I think this is kind of where you're suggesting that in some ways the movie is a little bit flabby, but mm. it's also still a lot happening. Yes. It's still kind of moving the story forward. Uh, you know, we we even... Within this part, we also get to enjoy his discovery of food. Mm. Uh, I like that moment a lot where he's like, they're at the diner. She's yes. eating the pie first. She's trying to tell him why dessert's not first. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's cute. Um, also... Uh, like it doesn't go into, even though this is kind of like an obvious joke, it doesn't go into obvious places. Mm. When uh, Scott goes to the men's toilet and watches another man take a piss, yeah, like you know, I think in a lesser movie that becomes too much, yeah. But in this, it's just the guys like, "What the fuck?" And yeah, gets out, which I once again. You know, we talk about on this podcast a lot when you have fantastical things happening, you need really the things that we relate to mm. to be the things that we that ring true. And a trucker would just be like, What? Yeah. I'm just getting out of here. I'm not gonna beat him up. I'm not gonna have a word with him. I'm just gonna go, Yeah, all right, fella, and get the fuck <laughs> out of there. Um, did I leave anything out? Do you what do you think of the scene when the when the Car explodes into the petrol tanker. It's it's obviously it's with using effects that aren't as seamless as all of the other practical effects in this yeah. movie. Like it's a kind of dated looking special effect. Um, I think its intentions are all still there and look really not and are yeah. nice. But it's it is just uh, when the practical work of this movie is quite seamless and beautiful. Yeah, it just sticks out a little bit. That's that's mm. why I asked you. You know, and also yeah. it feels like. Well, we got to throw in a bit of action. Yeah, exactly. For, for everybody. Well, you know, I get that. Yeah. Uh, hiding in the back of a mobile home that is being transported, Scott heals Jenny and leaves her so she will be safe. Jenny calls the feds to say she's fine. It has all been a misunderstanding. And when she talks to Sherman, she begs him to leave the alien alone. She manages to catch up with Scott and whisk him to safety. Two things to discuss. How much would you love a movie about the guy that drives her to the next roadblock? Yeah. <laughs> Who's that guy? Yeah. <laughs> he, he meets her in a roadhouse. 
She says, I've got to catch up with this guy who's got the army after him. Mm. No questions asked. He says, no worries. Yeah. Gets into the car, drives off, and then happily throws a petrol bomb yeah. to, and then takes off again. Like, yeah. I In that tiny little sports car, right? Mate. Yeah. The, like, I genuinely want an 80-minute film about him. Mm. Like... Like you remember the woman who went to see the film Drive and yeah. got angry that there wasn't enough yeah. driving and tried to sue them. Exactly. Here's your movie. Yeah. It's just this guy That's so on funny. the run. Yeah. <laughs> Speeding around as a little speedster. It's <laughs> like it's not often that you just see someone for like all up three seconds in a movie and go, man. Yeah. Why can't we have more with him and about him? Uh, Scott and Jenny hitchhike with a woman who has a baby. Scott holds the child and discovers that Jenny can't have a baby even though she wanted one. That night, they make love in the back of a train carriage and he informs her that he has given her a baby. He explains that it will be Scott's baby because he cloned himself from the DNA, but it will also be the alien's baby. Uh, The child will possess all the alien's knowledge and will grow up to be a teacher. While this is a sweet moment, how do you explain this baby to the rest of the family (laughs) moving on? It is weird. Because he's been dead for a while, right? He's been dead for a little while. I would also say that in her perhaps defense of her life, it does seem like she's quite lonely. And uh, there probably isn't that many people she has to explain it to. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah, no, no, that's a good point. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, she could easily fudge it. Mm. Oh, when did you have the baby? Seconds before he died. um. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, we, we, we had sex, we had the baby. Uh, we and uh, then he died, and uh, I've just you know. I was pregnant for seventeen months. Yeah, <laughs> I was in shock. It affected the whole birth. Anyway, it's uh, once again in a lesser actor's hands. That could have been a creepy moment, right? Yeah, just a really insane moment as well. But it's done. It's actually it works just because you just buy their relationship throughout and just yeah. how nicely it grows. Yeah. Otherwise, it just would be like, okay, she didn't ask for it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the train that they jump on accidentally takes them to Las Vegas where Scott man- manipulates the slot machines mm-hmm. to win $500,000. They Love buy a car. This moment. Yeah, it's good. I think it's really fun. Once again, in another film, this is ten minutes, and I think it works because it's uh, it has the kind of like wish fulfillment of like if I had these powers, what would I do with them? Yeah, yeah, I think I'd do something nice. as mundane as winning as yeah all this money at a slot Set machine. Set myself up to get a nice car. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> um, then uh, Sherman is mortified to discover the government has not only worked out the original flight trajectory of the spaceship, so they know where this new one is going to land. But they, oh well, they know where uh, Scott and Jenny are going. But they also plan to vivisect the alien. What, what, what do you think humans would do if they met aliens? It- um, probably try and fuck them. Do you? Well, <laughs> no, I, I don't know. No, no, it's actually. funny. I feel like they'd try to eat them. Yeah, I don't know because it's kind of. We've had so long to think about it, and I still yeah. don't know what the answer would be. But I think it would be hostile. I think it would be hostile too. Yeah. Like, we don't even cope if someone's wearing a, a hat that we don't like. Mm. The uh, yeah, I, I I feel like they'd be uh, deep fried. That's my fear that they wow. would uh, delicious. That they'd travel from many solar systems away, and the first thing we'd do is. Build a big deep fry. Yeah, okay. Well, I'd sample it. Oh, <laughs> look. I'd give it a shot. 
I'd, I'd wait till they brought out a vegan supplement yeah. and then I would, uh, I would <laughs> Well, I'll have to crack. be the test sample to find out what they taste like to describe it to a veganologist. Mate, I really appreciate you <laughs> taking, uh, taking this one on the chin with a little sauce as well, hopefully. <laughs> uh, Jenny and Scott stop one last time for some... P- for some food but are intercepted by the police Sherman arrives and talks to them he discovers that the aliens are interested in us as a species that there are many and that there are also many beautiful species out there Sherman goes out and tells the cops they're the wrong people and lets them go and what do you think of the hypothesis that aliens look down on earth and think because there is a theory that you mm-hmm. know aliens look down and go no fuck that we're yeah. not contacting them they yeah. look awful yeah, I, I think there's some merits to that theory. Yeah, at least in maybe not a reality sense. Like it might. Not, I don't think it's necessarily exactly true, but there's merit to it because uh, it should be a way that we think about ourselves. Yeah, you know, as a as a collective, I think it should be a way that we should think about ourselves. Well, once again, you know, this is the this is why I like the Sherman character mm. because uh, you know, in a, in in a way, he's um, he, he's 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 a bit cliched and uh, you know he's a little bit kind of popping up at intermittent points. But yeah. I, I feel like the real payoff with Sherman is in that scene where the, all the three of them get to have that interaction, yeah. and uh, there is that like he kind of does represent the uh, the more benevolent side of mm. of of humanity and you know he's he's still got that wonderment of a yeah. kid you know and once again this film comes right down to we invited them yeah and then, then we, we put the message out there in the world and then we just start going let's kill this guy Jesus what's that shoot it down yeah. you know uh, and I also you know I think you get a nice payoff with him as well smoking mm. the cigar and you know being the man for a moment yeah like it's great uh now it is a race to the rendezvous at Arizona's Meteor Crater. The government send in helicopters and soldiers who fire on Jenny and Scott. Then a giant reflective sphere drops from the sky and heals Scott. Jenny asks to go with him, but she won't survive on his planet. An underrated moment of mm. tragedy yeah. when she asks to go with him. Yeah, I think so. Because I think she has nothing left on Earth. Yeah. I actually think she has nothing left on Earth. Because you don't see... Any phone calls with friends or anything like that? You got nothing. I think you're right. And I think it's really desperate of her wanting to go. He gives her a reason to stay on Earth, which is a new life, someone to share some life with now. Yeah. But um, it's a very sad character. I think she's a very, very sad character. Yeah, yeah. And uh, once again, a kind of moment that I'd forgotten in the mm. film. So when I was watching, I was a bit like, oh... Far out, that kind of takes your breath away a little bit. Uh, he tells Jenny she won't see him again, but gives one of the spheres to her and tells her that their son will know what to do with it. The film finishes on the close-up of Jenny's face, which we have already mentioned, as she watches the sphere fly away. And it's just a... Uh... God, it's the best close-up. It's yes. so good because it's just the camera rising, almost like this close-up perspective of the starship. Yeah, you only see the lights. You don't see the starship freaking taking off or no. anything. It's just the perspective down on her as, and it's all through the actor. It's so much more powerful than seeing the spectacle of it all. Yeah, it just works so well. And that was what I was floored by watching the movie again yesterday. I have forgotten about that. I yeah, had, and now I'll never forget it. It'll be what I remember this movie for is that one final close-up of the ship taking off and it's to me it's kind of what hollywood does best that Mm. shot yeah i think so like it's the wonderment of Mm. of what a film can be and and what's happening in that moment and 
Yeah, it's just perfect. It's a really interesting thing because a lot of uh, filmmaking uh, through emotions, like in the audience, is shot, reverse shot, reaction. And I think this is a really great example of how only reaction is, that reaction is the most important one. You don't yeah. need the shot of a reverse shot. You just need, sometimes you just need a reverse shot. Yeah. And that's the most important. And I think it's just really, really clever. And it looks like a million dollars. It yes. probably cost you know, maybe $10,000 to do this shot. Right, it was probably the cheapest part of the yeah, movie. It's and pretty it's, cheap because yeah. it's just lights. It's yeah. just lights. It's a close-up. You don't... Does the background of whatever's in the background doesn't matter because it's just matter. someone's face. Yeah. And it's just a million-dollar performance happening, you know? And it's a perfect ending for the film and it is a suggestion of this story mm. goes on. Yeah, exactly. Like, this this story is not over. Yeah. But we are done with it for now. Exactly. Oh, wow. Great, great way to look at it. Yeah, it's great. Uh, A couple of segments for you before we get into the squid bits. These are opportunities uh, for you to give me your idea. Uh, Segment, who and how? Which character do you think you would be and how would you react in their place? Um, I probably would be the lady working at the diner, I guess. Oh, really? I think that would probably be, if I was cast in this movie, it would be yeah. something small like that. Yeah. Uh, but also, um, I like that character. I think it's a great moment where she uh, has to take on that. Um, she's like, oh, you see that man that I'm with? I need to get out of here. And she's like, okay, but you can't go back out that way. He's out there. And then it leads to a sweet moment in the movie where yeah. it starts in the reality and the context that she's been setting, it's danger. But then it becomes sweet. I think it's nice. Yeah. Great moment. Well, it's funny, uh, we've both picked uh, small moments in a movie, Mm. uh, small characters. I'd be the guy at the motel who sees the cops digging around someone's car and without any backstory, gladly helps the the two people create a diversion so they can escape the cops. Yeah, either that or I'd love to play the up yours guy. Uh, The guy in the bathroom where he learns the thumbs up and he flips him off going, up yours. Yeah. I think that's great. I'd happy to be uh, the deer as well, yeah. being brought back to life. Wow. We all wish that. Zygmunt, uh, uh, segment, zero charisma. Um, for me, Richard Jekyll as the National Security Director doesn't get a lot to do. I think he's a good actor. Um, I, I just kind of think, um, you know, for, for playing a similar, uh, you know, he, he's, you could just do more with him. Mm. You could just do more with this character and it's like, well, you know what? So I recently we watched Arrival. Yeah. And, you know, I think about Forrest Whitaker. Mm. And it, it's like it's technically, you know, a, a one-for-one character. Yeah. But Forrest Whitaker's character, who is a military man doing things by the books, th- there's there's just something going on mm. extra with him. Yeah. And is, it, is that because of a better actor? Is that because of better direction? Was there a better backstory or whatever? Media but, role, but, yeah. Yeah, but this character is just... I'm security and I'm a bad yeah. guy. I'll give you one, but it's a positive. Mm-hmm. Um, the lady with the baby. Oh, Because there's yeah. almost nothing there, but that's all you need. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's just the suggestion of She's a, got all the charisma. It's a suggestion of a real life person. Like, yeah. That's great. Yeah. Uh, segment, better or worse, ruin or improve the movie with one decision? Wow. Okay. Um, I would... Wow. Okay. Do you have an idea? Yeah, I'd ruin the movie. Mm-hmm. 
by having David Bowie's Starman or Elton John's Rocketman playing over Karen Allen's face. Wow. Okay. Well, then I'll improve the movie. <laughs> okay. I'll have Starman playing instead of and can't get no satisfaction. satisfaction. <laughs> uh, by the way, while I think of it, I would gladly do a back to back of the Man Who Fell to Earth and Starman. Yeah. That would yeah. be that would be a good time for me. Uh, segment, where are we now? This is where ha- we talk about uh, the technology in the film. Where is Voyager? Oh, yeah. Briley Lewis on Space.com reported there are five spacecraft that have reached the edges of our solar system or are fast approaching it. Pioneer 10 and 11, Voyager 1 and 2, and New Horizons. The Voyager spacecraft are 45 years into their journey and still operating. Both craft have crossed over into the heliopause, the boundary where the sun's flow of particles ceases to be the most important influence. Scientists are managing the power supplies of both spacecraft as the radioactive generators continue to dwindle. At Inverse.com, there was an article reporting on astronomer Graham Smith and his assertion that when we search for extraterrestrial life in our backyard, the alien probe will probably be a highly advanced model. The better the model, the quicker it will travel. Therefore, he hypothesizes that if we received a second probe from the same alien civilization, it might appear that they have taken a backward step, but it will instead be the first effort and not the second. Uh, as an example, the Pioneer satellites we launched five years before the Voyagers have already been overtaken mm. many years ago. Uh, Smith also suggests it won't be aliens themselves, but probes we encounter first, just like we did with the Voyagers, Pioneers, etc. Two big questions for speculating on unidentified aerial phenomena. Are the UAP characteristics so far beyond what terrestrial innovation can currently accomplish as to be consistent with the first arrival of vehicles from a distant extraterrestrial civilization with an interstellar probe program might a hypothetical first encounter vehicle from an extraterrestrial civilization be so sophisticated as to still be functioning upon arrival at the solar system finally voyager one should take 38,200 years to come within 1.7 light years of an obscure star in the constellation Ursa Minor called AC plus 793888. Voyager 2 in 40,000 light years will come within 1.7 light years of a star called Ross 248, a small star in the constellation of Andromeda. Wow. So it's still out there. So it's still out there. (laughs) It's the long and the short of it. I've got some squid bits for you Uh to finish up. Kevin Bacon and Tom Cruise were considered for the lead. But after after Karen Allen was cast, John Carpenter looked for a leading man closer to her age. Yeah, okay. I was going to say that they don't make sense at all to me. Tom Cruise now makes sense. Tom Cruise now, he would crush it. Because I reckon he'd play a fantastic alien. Because he is. Yeah, Kevin Bacon, nah, don't like it. Nah. Uh, after the failure of The Thing, Carpenter chose Starman to prove he too could make a feel-good, sweet film like E.T. Mm-hmm. Bridges studied birds and borrowed their sudden jerky head movements, among other subtle nuances, to add to his character. He figured an alien wouldn't have natural human mannerisms being encased in a human's body for the first yeah, time. Yeah, right. Uh, the crater they rendezvous at is located outside of Flagstaff, Arizona. It is about 49,000 years old, 570 feet deep, and a mile wide. The equivalent force of 20 to 40 million tons of TNT from a 100 to 165-foot diameter asteroid resulting in the force of an atomic bomb made the crater. Uh, Studio Columbia 
pictures passed on a Spielberg project entitled Night Skies, mm. originally going to be directed by Tobe Hooper. This was going to be a scary movie about a household under attack by monstrous aliens. Spielberg decided to ditch the horror elements and made it a more family-orientated film. Columbia chose Starman because this new Spielberg v- version was aimed at children and therefore had less commercial potential. And that's how Columbia missed out on E.T. Mm. Uh, Jeff Bridges was nominated for Best Actor But lost to F. Murray Abraham in Amadeus Yeah, great uh, Jeff Bridges and Karen Allen spent a day Travelling around Arizona in character To prepare for their roles Perfect Like Yeah, nice How, how nice would it be to be in the back seat? Yeah Okay, can you guys kiss? Yeah Can do, I watch you guys kiss? Do you guys <laughs> want a snack? <laughs> do you guys want a snack? <laughs> Uh, Bridges rehearsed the phone booth transformation scene in the nude. He said, I have a fond memory of being in my office, in one corner of the office, naked, preparing for that scene and working it up. And my wife came in, knocking and opening the door. She saw me writhing on the ground, naked, smiled, and just shut the door. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The original script was more anti-government, but Carpenter had those parts of the movie removed or downplayed because he wanted the film to be more upbeat and optimistic. Mm -hmm. So maybe Richard Jekyll's character yeah. got watered down probably and that's what, what went wrong there he would have probably been an antagonist rather than just like an entity just some guy being yeah. like kind of pissed off yeah there. exactly i'm meant to be in on holidays in calcoon with my yeah. family uh it's one of the rare carpenter movies where he didn't create the music instead mm. he used jack nietzsche after one of the producers recommended him that producer was michael douglas Oh wow! Yeah, I would say I don't love the Jack Nietzsche score in this. No, neither do I. It's I um, think it's one of the flaws. Yeah, it's really odd. One of the things in it that um, it just I don't think you see it done this way anymore is um, there's vocals in the score, but he sampled his wife's singing voice and just turned it into like keys. Oh, and right. I think that's like is that the, what it is? Uh, like you know those yeah. weird noises in the score. Yeah. That's his wife's voice being oh. sampled. It just, um, I don't know, I just don't love this score. No. Good on him for loving his wife and giving her some work. Yeah, but... on your mate. Um, yeah, just don't love this score. <laughs> I like his one for the Cuckoo's Nest score a bit more. Yeah. And like the stuff he did on The Exorcist. Yeah. I think um, the sweetness just doesn't work with what he does. Yeah. yeah. But also, I don't think Carpenter could have scored this movie. It would have been too cold. Yeah, I don't think it's in his wheelhouse. Who do you reckon? Well, John Williams shouldn't have done it because he would have just done this E.T. But Yeah, I don't know. Um, who's around at that time? Dave Grusin. Uh, that's t- cool. Yeah, I he think was, he's kind Bill of underrated. Conti maybe. Oh, Bill Conti. Bill Conti because I like his like su- how sweeping his stuff can yeah. be. Yeah, yeah. Bill Conti's good. Yeah, yeah good call. Uh, Bridges and Karen Allen released a promotional single and music video for the film. The, pil- the pair still get together and jam. Wow. And Karen has made guest appearances with Bridges and his band, The Abiders. Oh, oh that's nice. awesome. Yeah, that makes me very happy. There was a short-lived TV series starring Robert Hayes as the Starman. Set 15 years after the movie, the Starman returns to Earth to meet his now teenage son. The two of them go in search of the boy's missing mum. Yeah. Uh, in the series, Jenny is played by Erin Gray from Buck Rogers. Who, and the reason I'm bringing this up is uh, Wilma Deering was one of my first crushes as a kid. You know, when you you go from, that's a woman in a TV show mm. to, oh, who's that? Erin Gray. Wow. Uh, the series only lasted one 
season. In 2016, there was a report that Sean Levy was working on a remake. Oh, yeah. I remember hearing about that. Yeah. What year was it, sorry? 2016. Well, I think I know what that was. As Stranger Things comes out around just a couple of years later. Oh, And he right. was the... I believe he was the director of the pilot of Stranger oh, Things. Oh, right. So, I reckon right. he must have been looking for something for like something, this. something, yeah. Which is literally Carpenter meets Spielberg. Yeah. And uh, that's what this movie is as well. Mate. Good call. Uh, Bridges said in 2018, he and Karen have discussed the idea of a sequel catching up with their characters all these years later. And finally, the thing that's going to blow your mind... Wow. The Rolling Stones, I Can't Get No Satisfaction, isn't on the Voyager discs. Instead, it's Chuck Berry's Johnny Be Good. Oh, wow. Mm, both probably shouldn't be on the disc. I like both of those songs, man. I don't know. What, what are you trying to say to aliens out there? That uh, fucking is cool? What, a, what like... <laughs> it, it, they're, they're both strange choices. Mm, they're odd the choices. Yeah, yeah. Uh, final segment. Sum it up. What does this movie mean to you? Um, it's, uh, I guess, what does this movie mean to me? Well, I guess I can't really strip it from my, um, first time watching it where it's just a sense of discovery. Like yeah. It's what it will always mean to me is like how I watched it. Yeah. It's a sense of discovery for me. I think it's, uh, I think it's underrated. I think mm. it's beautiful. And I, I, I think it really captures, uh, a certain, a certain, uh, flavour of mm. the Zeitgeist of the yeah, 80s. I think so. Quite beautifully as well. Uh, thank you for joining me on this uh, journey through Starman. Where can people find you, Alexi? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram at thisisalexi, also on letterbox.com where I write about every movie I watch. Um, and I have got the YouTube series Finding Jesus that you can watch, which is an investigative documentary comedy series from Cameron James and I solving one of the internet's greatest unsolved mysteries. Uh, check us out there. What's the best film you've seen lately? Um, uh, what have I seen lately in the cinema? I saw a movie called Missing on Monday that was pretty fun because I like those kind of... Uh, it is a screen life thriller, yep. like the movie Searching, yep. uh, which is just a movie set on a laptop home screen. And I kind of like those yep. as like the extension of found footage into like the digital age. Yeah. And we're about to go and see Cocaine Bear. Yeah, I don't know much about it, so no, I'm excited to go see it. I was happy for the title. I watched the trailer once, and I'm like, well, I can't wait to see this, and I can't wait to see the sequels, Heroin, yeah. Duck, and <laughs> anything else they can pump into some poor <laughs> animal. Thank you, Alexi. My pleasure. Thank you to Alexi for discussing this film with me and thank you to Michael for being our Patreon supporter of the episode. Don't forget, if you're in Melbourne, I'm in town this week and this week only, two shows. Big Squid live on April 16th, which is a Sunday, and then my solo show, Little Victories, on April 17th, which is next Monday. Head to justinhamilton.com.au forward slash gigs for more details and don't forget to use that promo code podcast. I hope you have a great week. And I look forward to having your company again soon. Until then. to Hulu this March where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. 
presents the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.